could, uh, if you're new here this morning, uh, we want to extend a big welcome. This place is definitely home and you belong here. Uh, my name is Dan. I have the privilege of leading this church and we have such an incredible uh, church family here. And if you are a regular, uh, welcome. It's good to see you. And it's just so good that we can be together. Like we say every single week, it's kind of a catchphrase around here. It's good to be in church. And it is. It's always good to gather like this. And uh, if you've been with us for the past few weeks, since the new year, you know we'll have started a new series called Shepherd. And this has been a really, really, really good series so far. And we're looking at Psalm 23. This is, uh, the idea of this series is to learn to know uh, the voice of our shepherd, learning how to walk in relationship with God. And uh, if you would like to turn to Psalm 23, we're going to jump straight in. And we've got a lot to get through this morning. It's crazy just what uh, is in uh, these, these passages, these pages, and they can change your life. And we're going to jump straight into it this morning. Psalm 23, I'm going to read the whole thing out, and we have been doing every single week. So if you don't have a Bible, don't worry, I will be reading it out. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along right paths for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and your love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So today we are going to be focusing on verse 3. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along right paths for his namesake. There's so much in this that we're going to pull out. So if you'd like to pray with me, we're going to jump straight in. Father God, I want to thank you for your presence is here. That we don't have to manufacture anything. We don't have to dream anything up. We don't have to do anything special other than just come to you. And God, I thank you that when we gather, when we just come to you, that you meet with us. God, I thank you for the privilege it is that you want to work through us in this community and in this family and in this church. God, I pray this morning that it wouldn't be a morning where we uh, just hear some interesting thoughts from your word or some good knowledge or some good principles. But God, may this change the way that we walk, the way that we love, the way that we approach life, the way that we see people, the way that we see ourselves. God, I pray that we leave this room transformed. God, we thank you that you are a God who loves us and accepts us just the way that we are, but loves us so much that you don't leave us like that. So God, I pray this morning that we would leave this place transformed. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Have you ever been busy or been rushing or maybe been on like a big journey and finally got to the place that you needed to get to? Like maybe you were running to catch a bus and you finally got onto the bus. If you can't relate to the bus, maybe you've been to Ikea and you've gone on a long journey around Ikea, down every single zigzag and you finally make it back to the car or the canteen, one of the two. Usually the canteen, if you've had the meatballs, you always go back. I remember not so long ago, it was December actually, we, me and Holly were in Australia, we were going to pick up Becca, we were coming back and we were going to fly and surprise everyone back here that we'd come back early, it was crazy, big 
big, long planned thing. I hate keeping surprises and secrets as well, so it wasn't fun. So we were flying back, and obviously many of you will have seen the, the fires that have been going on in Australia. So we were driving to our, our first airport. We were flying from Sydney to Brisbane, and then we were fly, flying from Brisbane to Abu Dhabi and Abu Dhabi back to Manchester. So we had tons of flights to get and like loads of checking in, and you know the process is proper. Uh, confusing and complicated and busy and all that sort of stuff. And uh, we were flying from Sydney to Brisbane. And obviously because of these fires, on the way there, uh, the, the person who was driving us suddenly turned around to us and said, like, which airport are you going to? And we were like, the airport, just the, the airport that we were. And she's like, no, there's two. Like, oh, I don't know what airport, it just says Sydney Airport. And she's like, no, there's two. So we finally find out where we were supposed to go. Panic over, right, this is going to be a seamless journey. We get into the airport, and we are like power walking over to the place we're supposed to be. We check in. Obviously, mine's the bag that gets searched, and I get everything tipped out and get like treated like I've already done something wrong. And uh, I finally, we get into the gate where we're supposed to be boarding the plane. And me, Becca, and Holly are sat in the little, the little waiting area. And uh, Holly decides to uh, go and ask the woman why we've, we've not boarded the plane yet. We should have boarded a few minutes ago. I don't know whether she was just impatient or just getting really sick of the woman eating a sandwich really loud, speaking on the phone so loud that everyone in China could hear what she was saying. And she goes and asks the woman on the desk, like, hey, we were supposed to board this flight five minutes ago. What's going on? Now, me and Becky couldn't exactly see what Holly had said to her, but it looked like she just said that all of her children would look better bald and have no eyebrows because she looked at Holly like this. And uh, Holly came back and says, no, we have no idea why we've not boarded the plane yet. And uh, we wait and we wait and we wait. Now, we only have like half an hour between one flight and the next flight. Now, we're getting a little bit more like tense at this moment. And me and, well, I'm saying me and Holly are getting tense. Becca's just got headphones on, just like chilling, <laughs> not caring the world because she knows I'm going to sort it out anyway. And by me sorting out, Holly's going to sort it out. So really, all of this is on Holly. She's getting, she's feeling the pressure right now. Anyway, we board the flight, and uh, we sit on the plane for a little bit longer. We realize that we just are not going to make it to our next flight on time. We literally have like 50 minutes. You have an hour to board the plane, and uh, we were arriving like 15 minutes before the plane was due to leave. But we were like, we're opportunists. We're going to try this. So we are like bolting. We're bolting off the plane. We're running. We're like being like a little bit rude, like shuffling past people. We get down to the customer service desk and we say to her, hey, this is what's happened. We need to, we need to know if we can make this plane. Where's the terminal? She's like, oh, the terminal's in another airport. Like, what is it about Australia? Put it in the same airport. So anyway, she, uh, she radios Sue and she asks us a really, really vital question here. Cause, and uh, judging by the tone of her voice, we knew that our answer would determine what the next 15 minutes looked like. And she said, do you want to catch this flight? And we were like, well, yes. And it was like a SWAT team broke out the walls, and it was like mission go. We were being escorted. I've never seen someone walk so fast in high heels. We were doing that awkward like walk, run, walk, run thing, but she was powering down there. Anyway, we get to the place. She like hands us these little ticket things, and she says, go to the taxi rank and get to the other place. So we go over to the taxi, and we say to the guy, look, we need to get to the other airport. And the taxi guy, he just, he's the type of guy who would take a needle to a balloon shop, you know, someone who just wasn't having a good day. And he said to us, he said, you're not going to make the flight. You're not going to make it. I didn't ask that. We asked, is there a taxi available? Anyway, some nice guy overhearing us, he said, you can have mine, mate. And he says, 
He, he gives us his taxi. So we're like throwing the cases in the back. I jump in the front. I give the guy the mission brief. And I tell him, hey, we need to get to this, to this airport ASAP. And this was like his big break. It was like MI6 jumped in the car for his big moment. Three British spies. And this guy, he like... He straightened his cap and he put his foot down. I'm not kidding. It was like we were off. I've never seen him drive so quickly ever. He was doing things he shouldn't have been doing. He was drifting around corners, driving on two wheels. We pull, we pull into the airport. And uh, <coughs> there may be some exaggerations in this. I'm not too sure. And, uh, <coughs> and, and we, he, get, he pulls into the place we're supposed to be. And he's like, go, go, go. And uh, so I run out of the back. Becca's trying to put a coat on at that time of all times. And... <laughs> And uh, anything else? You want a sandwich? No. We're, we're like, I'm like holding both her cases. We're running as fast as we could through the airport. And then I said, Becky, you got to take your suitcase. So I give it a running start. And she's like catching sprint. She's catching up with the suitcase. We get the suitcase and we have a little ticket that says we can jump the queue in the security line. So we take this very, very literally. So we literally, Holly's like barging past important people. And uh, they're in the little queue, you know, the one with like the velvet floors and the one that like the normal people don't go in. And we're chucking our cases. And like my face has changed a little bit. So none of my passport ever scans through those stupid things. Like I usually have to go to the person and they always say, is this you? And I have to be like, yeah, I was 12 or whatever. And um, for some reason, heaven opened and the little green light came on and I was able to run through and we were sprinting. This was one of those like home alone airport moments. We were sprinting as fast as we could. Becca's bag broke. We were going for it. Like Holly was like, you know those like little, uh, the barriers with the little seat belt things? Holly was pulling them off. They're flying everywhere. We finally get to the gate and we are the last three people to walk through the door. We managed to get from one airport to the other one in 15 minutes. And uh, we were, we were, profusely sweating and and because Australia is hot and and we got to where we needed to be we were like running down the the creepy tunnel we got onto the plane and we sat in our lovely comfy limited legroom seats ain't no premium economy around here and we sat in our seats for a moment of rest and quiet and we just sat back for a few minutes and we got to exactly where we needed to be I wonder if you can relate to a story like that no? Well, I can, because we, we, we did it in December. And uh, we've been talking a little bit about this idea of rest and about the environment of rest. And you see, when we were sat in those plane seats, there wasn't anything specifically special about the seat we were sat in. There wasn't necessarily anything specifically uh, designed about the environment that would make us feel at, at peace. Or, but just in a moment, everything that we'd been pushing for, all of our worry, all of our anticipation, our expectations, everything just in a moment disappeared. And we found ourselves sat on the plane right where we needed to be. And we took a few minutes to uh, catch our breath, to laugh at each other and funny things that we did along the way. And, and uh, it was like, Pat mentioned this last week, rest, it has to be something deeper than our environment. Because you see, the environment that we were sat in, it didn't necessarily do anything to us, but it gave us an opportunity for something deeper to shift on the inside. And then we were ready for the journey ahead. See, I want to suggest to us this morning that there is something deeper in the pastures that David is talking about in verse 2. And actually, we need to read verse 3 that we're going to go through this morning. In, in the light of verse 2, there is something deeper to rest. That there is something deeper that the shepherd wants to do in our life with rest than just our environment. Quickly look back at these 
uh, this series so far. In week one, uh, we looked at God as the shepherd. This is David looking back at his life and saying, this is the nature of God. This is God's character. This is what I've seen of God in my life. And this is who he is. And he calls him a shepherd. Now, David's been a king and he's been a shepherd and he chooses to call God a shepherd because shepherd is near. A shepherd is active in our lives. A shepherd provides, he protects, he leads, and he guides. I kind of rhymed. And... Uh, and David calls God a shepherd. Week two, we learned about the fact that the shepherd leads us and he makes us lie down in green pastures and beside still and quiet waters. And then we get to verse three. It says, he refreshes my soul. He leads me on right paths for his namesake. See, this is what God actually does to us. This is what the shepherd, this is the point of the pastures. This verse is talking about the shepherd-sheep relationship. And it's talking about the heart of the shepherd. He refreshes my soul. See, this verse teaches us about how we can walk in relationship with God. It talks about what is the shepherd actually doing here. Because if we just take verse 2 in isolation and we just say, okay, he leads us to nice places. He leads us to a place where we can rest. We can just stop there. That's nice, isn't it? Actually, I believe there's something deeper going on in this passage to do with rest. I've got some observations from this, and we can pull out some principles that can really help us in our own life. If you write notes, the first thought I, had, I have for you this morning is God will prepare you externally so he can repair you internally. God will prepare you externally so he can repair you internally. I've broken this, uh, this verse 3 down to three parts. First one is, he refreshes my soul. The second one, he leads me on the right paths. And the third one, for his namesake. So God will prepare you externally so he can repair you internally. He refreshes my soul. So David talks about these green pastures and the still water. And he says, that this is the place the shepherd will lead you. And now he goes on to talk about the work that the shepherd begins to do. He refreshes my soul. You see... When the shepherd is taking these sheep from place to place, they often went on these really, really long journeys, these really long walks. And they finally found these places where they could eat. So the green pastures being like those grass that they could, could uh, like re-nourish themselves with and quiet waters. It means they could drink, they could rest. They might want to sit down and have a snooze. And uh, this whole idea is that the shepherd is allowing them time to rejuvenate. And David kind of breaks the, like the shepherd-sheep metaphor here for a second. He says, he refreshes my soul. He takes me to a place that gives me opportunity for him to work on me. This is really important. Now I sound like a little bit of a weird thing. Like, he takes me to a place where he can work on me. But this is actually a really important principle that can change the way we live our lives. This is the principle. God will use the circumstance around you to work on something within you. Okay, so if the shepherd is taking the sheep to a physical place, there's actually giving them an internal impact. The principle we can learn in our life is that God can use external circumstances to change things on the inside of us. What does that mean? This is important because it begins to shift our perspective of the things that we go through. The very storm that you're asking God to deliver you from could be the very storm he's actually delivering you in. The thing that you're asking God to change you, like change the circumstances, like I want to change something more, I want to change you. This principle, God can use the things we go through to change the things inside of us. Doesn't that change our perspective on stuff? 
You know, when we face pain, when we face trial, when we face things that actually we didn't think we would go through. Instead of asking God, like, God, take me out of this, actually, God, what are you teaching me through this? How are you shaping me through this? God will prepare our external so he can repair the stuff on the inside. Listen to this, James 1, 2 to 4. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, that whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, and let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So if the job of a shepherd is to provide... And it's written here in the scriptures that actually through perseverance, through persevering trials, we will end up in a place of maturity lacking nothing. Sometimes the shepherd provides by letting us go through things and by changing us in them. Maybe this morning there's some things in your life that you need to change your perspective on. I wonder are there some things that you're facing right now that you actually just need to say, God, what are you teaching me through this? If God can use external circumstance to change something on the inside, that might change the way we approach things. It might change the way that we treat that boss at work that just doesn't treat us so right. It might change the way that we, that we go about doing things even when no one's really watching. Because God can use external circumstance to change something on the inside. The shepherd took the sheep to a place of external peace so that internally they can rejuvenate, so that they can be ready for the journey ahead. God will prepare you externally so he can repair you internally. Second thought is God will use the pasture to equip you for the path. God will use the pasture to equip you for the path. This has been a very, very challenging thought. I've gone through this quite a bit this week. God will use the pasture to equip you for the path. He guides me along the right path. That's what David writes. He guides me along the right path. Did you know the pasture was not the sheep's home? It wasn't the place that they were supposed to stay. It was like a refuel. It was like a, like a pit stop. See, the pasture actually fueled the sheep for the journey they had ahead of them. The pasture was never the place the shepherd made the sheep stay. It was a place for them to fill up. See, the sheep just follow the shepherd. The sheep have no idea where they're going. They just follow, they follow, they follow. And it's the shepherd's job to find the places where they can eat, to find the places that they will be able to refuel for the journey they have ahead. The shepherd's job was uh, to raise these sheep. Like we've learned that the shepherd was quite a like, lowly respected job. Like people didn't really see shepherds as much. And uh, shepherds had this simple job to raise sheep, to protect them, to guide them, to provide for them. And what for? What were they raised for? They were raised for meat. They were raised for milk. They were raised for wool. So these were the things. And actually, the shepherd's job was to take them from marketplace to marketplace. I've always wondered this. Like, why did shepherds just hang around in fields? Like, what were they for? Well, often... It was because they were traveling from marketplace to marketplace. And that is how the shepherd would make his income, make his living. That he would take his sheep and he would take them into a market and he would sell them for meat, for milk, or for wool. So the sheep would stop in the pasture to refuel for this big, long journey. And it was the shepherd's job to find it. And I think there's a really interesting principle that we can pull out of this for our own lives. That God uses our stillness to refresh us 
for our purpose. You know you've been saved with a purpose, saved for a mission. The goal isn't to just chill, isn't just to stay and maybe be a bit lazy or lethargic in the pastures. It's actually to fulfill the purpose God's put on our life. You weren't designed to live in the pasture. I'm sure you've heard the, the old fable about the, the farmer who found an eagle's egg. And he put it in with his chickens. And when it hatched, the eagle thought it was a chicken. And it would run around like a chicken. And chickens wouldn't fly so far. And the eagle wouldn't fly so far because it thought it was a chicken. And obviously, it's a fable because the eagle said to the chicken, sees an eagle up in there and he says, whoa, what's that? And the chicken says, oh, that's the king of the sky. That's the eagle. We're just down here. We're the, we're the chickens. And the eagle dies uh, living like a chicken. And the, the moral of this fable being that's such a vivid picture of so many people's lives. That so often God has put something incredible inside of us. But actually we live our lives looking at other people. I wish I, wish I could fly high like that person. Or I wish I could be as talented as that person. Or I wish I would have a purpose as, as talented as that. And we look up to the eagle in the sky and we run around just like a chicken. We got used to our pastures. We got used to living in this state of confinement and, and of comfort. Maybe some of you this morning have set up your house in the pasture. Maybe some of you have actually forgotten that God has called you to an amazing purpose. That he's called you on mission. He's called you to do something incredible. But actually we've got comfortable in the pasture. We've got comfortable where we think it's safe, where we think it's nice. And we've just stayed there. You know, the funny thing about a pasture is, is the grass would always run out. Why? Because the sheep are eating it. Now, I was talking to, talking to mom, and she's been doing a little bit of research on this, and she was telling me, oh, did you know that the, the pastures weren't actually green like we would expect them to be green? Like, we have this view in our head that it's like these beautiful green rolling hills like the Microsoft 98 screensaver. <laughs> oh, yeah. Topical reference. And, um, you know, like the rolling green hills and the sheep just eating all this luscious grass and there's no... Now, that isn't exactly what it would look like in the ancient Near East. It would actually be lots of brown, bold, like just dusty ground with little pockets of green, little bits of, of rocks and little grass sticking out of it. It isn't exactly the meal we were expecting. But the shepherd would go and he'd know they had everything there. But see, once the sheep ate all the, all the grass, the shepherd would move them on. So actually, so many times that we camp in the pastures, the grass runs out. You know, the very thing that was sustaining us becomes the very thing that starves us. The very thing that gave us life and gave us, that, that fed us and gave us nutrition is now the very thing that's limiting us, that's suffocating us and stopping us living the life that God wants us to live. So what actually was intended for a pit stop, what was intended for like a momentary refuel, now becomes the very thing God is trying to deliver you from. The one thing he led you to, he's now trying to get you out of. See, this challenged me because it made me think, what pastures have I set up camp in? If David is trying to use these as a metaphor, as a picture, to say that he leads us to these places, he has been a shepherd. He did this with his own sheep. 
He led them to one place. They ate. He led them to the next place. He would take them from place to place. I wonder this morning, have you set up, have you set up your shop in the pastures? Let me read a passage for you. Hebrews 13, 20 to 21. It says, Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, may equip you with everything good for doing his will, and may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. What's this saying? May God equip us. May the shepherd of the sheep equip us for the job he's called us to do. It doesn't say may you equip yourself. This passage is saying not that we would equip ourselves and actually we would be the person that God wants us to be by striving and pushing and, and trying to feed ourselves. But no, it's saying actually if we follow the shepherd, he will equip us for what he has called us to do. He will lead us to the places that fill us up because he is taking us on a journey. He is the one leading and guiding us. It's not the sheep to tell the shepherd where they eat. You know, God has promised that he will equip us. I wonder, does anyone this morning need to maybe leave the pasture? I wonder if anyone this morning needs to leave that area of comfort. The thing that once fed you is now the thing that's holding you back. Maybe actually it's religion. Time and time again we see in the Bible where a prophet will call the nation out of this like mindless religion. It was like, you once had a vibrant relationship with God and now you're just going through the motions. Maybe the, the framework that actually got, uh, that, that you were able to see God through is now the very thing that is blinding you from it. Maybe you're so obsessed with living out this religious lifestyle that now you can't see God in it anymore. In fact, maybe it might even be that You've, you've been delivered and you got given a job and, and God really got you out of a sticky place and he got you into a place of rest and of peace and of stability. And now you've started looking at the job for your rest and for your peace and stability and you forgot that God was the one who gave it to you in the first place. It was never the job that gave you stability. It was the shepherd. It's not the pastures that sustain the sheep because they burn out, they go. It's the shepherd that sustains the sheep. Maybe you this morning have forgotten that your shepherd is the one who sustains you. Maybe you need to leave some pastures this morning. God will use the pasture to equip you for the path. Stop starving yourself in these empty pastures. Third thought for you this morning. God doesn't just equip you for the path. He equips you for the platform. I probably spent the majority of my time prepping this, this uh, talk on this last bit of this passage, for his namesake. I found this strange, actually, the more I read this and the more I see this throughout the Bible, it's used tons and tons of times, for his namesake. See, this is an interesting thought. The health and the condition of the sheep are actually a reflection on the shepherd. 
So like I said, the, the shepherd's job was to get the sheep from marketplace to marketplace. He was selling the, the produce. He was selling the sheep sometimes. And it was the reflection on the shepherd, the condition of the sheep. So the shepherd was judged as a good or bad shepherd based on the condition of his flocks. See, the shepherd is known to be a good shepherd or a bad shepherd, depending on what his sheep look like. So people would go to these sheep markets, they would, they would see the sheep, and if the, the sheep were skinny, and, and if they just looked a little bit raggy, and maybe some of them had been attacked, and they're just not in good condition, the people in the market would probably steer clear from that shepherd, because he don't keep good track of his sheep. David says, he leads me along the right paths. So as in, God has called us to mission. He saved us for a purpose. For his name's sake. He's refreshed us. He's leading us to places for his name's sake. What's the principle we can pull out of this? Listen, we are the tangible demonstration of God and his character on this earth. We are the tangible demonstration of God on this earth. What a terrifying thought. See, the world watches Christians really closely. Have you ever noticed? The second you sign up for a life of hope or a life of fullness or a life of freedom or if you say, actually, I want to live this life of purpose and God is going to look after me as my shepherd, people begin to watch. Oh, really? Let me, let me see how this unfolds. I read a, quite a saddening quote, actually, from Gandhi. I don't think this is a direct quote. I think I paraphrased it. But... This is what Gandhi said. He said, I, I like your Christ, just not a big fan of your Christians. I, I like the guy that you follow. I like what he stands for, but actually, I'm not just such a big fan of the people that follow him. Have you ever, have you ever noticed that people watch you? It might not even be about your faith. I mean, like, I don't know what it is about Christians um, or just about humans in general, but we have this like preset thing to pull people down who are trying to change their lives for the better, don't we? Like I, I used to work in an office, and I remember when someone was on a on a diet or something, they just every day be like, "How's the diet going?" Or if someone's going to try and go to the gym and they, and they make this thing, like, okay, I'm going to go to gym three times a week. They usually met with like, "Okay, let me know how that goes." Like I'll be on I'll be on the sofa. Like we just have this thing where we're like okay with mediocrity, don't we? It's like we just sell, we're all right, and anyone who wants to strive to be better or strive to change their life or strive to live a, a different life, we just have this thing, don't we? We just want to pull them down. You know, when we are Christians and we, we sign up for this life of faith, this life of following Jesus, when we say we want to live this life of wholeness, I wonder if you've ever had this said to you, like, you call yourself a Christian. I didn't think you were allowed to do that. And some people are pretty misguided. I remember as a kid I, in school, this is off topic, but I'll tell you anyway. Um, some kid said to me, oh, you have a car? Uh, as in, uh, our family had a car. And I was like, yeah. He's like, aren't you guys supposed to be Christians? It's like, well, yes. Well, sorry, I didn't, I didn't think we were. I think, he, I think he wondered if we were Amish. But no, I'm not Amish. Um, but yeah, we were, we were allowed cars. But the world's watching and they often look at your life and they will judge the person you're following by the way you live your life. We are the tangible demonstration of God on this earth. Listen to this. Matthew 5.14. This is a little bit of a 
a home verse for us. You are the light of the world. A town, this is Jesus' words, a town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So, Jesus has given us this ability to shine. He has given us this ability to emit stuff from our lives, to, to reflect things in our lives. But then he tags this little bit at the end saying that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Not that they just may see you just shining. So the shining bit, that's what he's given us. He's given us the ability to shine. And then he tags on the end, but you need to be intentional about what it is you're shining. Let me ask you a question. What, what is it you're shining this morning? If we are the tangible demonstration of God on this earth, if, if God leads us as our shepherd for his namesake, which by the way, his name is on the line. He ain't going to cut corners in our life. God is not a God of just enough. He says, I'll get you to a place where you're kind of all right and people will think I'm just a nice dude. No, he, it's his name on the line. He wants us to live a glorious, like purposeful, passionate, beautiful life so that when people look at us, they can only say, God has changed your life and I want some of that. What is it we're shining? What is it we're putting out there? What is it we are displaying? You know, when we're at work and things maybe don't go the way you planned, what is it that you do? What is it that you demonstrate? Like Gandhi said, I don't mind, I don't mind like the picture of Christ. I don't mind the, the way the scriptures talk about him, but I just don't see that in the people. You know what would be cool? And this is the whole point of this series. For people to look into these windows and, and when we brush shoulders with people in our daily lives, for them to go, they are a people that reflect the heart of the person they follow. They are a people that walk so closely in tune with God. They have just so much love. They have so much peace. What is it you are shining? Maybe something happens in your life and things just turn a little bit upside down. What is your go-to? Maybe, in fact, when you are in a situation, it might be something very, very, very simple where someone just asks you for help for something. How do you respond? Are we following our shepherd and are we demonstrating his character and his love? His name is on the line for his name's sake. I'm going to invite the band up and I'm going to come in to finish. God will prepare you externally so he can repair you internally. See, the idea of these pastures, these ideas of rest, is so that God can shape something inside of us. It's not just about doing nothing and standing there and asking God for the next thing. And, but no, God wants to work on the inside of you. God will prepare you externally to repair you internally. God will use the pasture to equip you for the path. God wants to build you up in those moments of intimacy and quiet and stillness with him. He's given you a purpose. He's given you a mission. He wants, you to, do some, he wants to do something incredible with your life. God will use the pasture to equip you for the path. 
But he doesn't just equip you for the path. He equips you for the platform. The world is already watching. And all we have to do is follow the shepherd. You know, I'm asking, what are we shining? Well, if we want to be shining love and hope and grace and peace, guess what we need to do? We need to know our shepherd. We need to follow our shepherd. We will never be able to live out a life with Jesus unless we are walking with him. We will never be able to shine out those things unless we are close with the shepherd. We are the tangible demonstration of his character on this earth. Maybe this morning, actually, you just feel like in a place you can relate to some of the sheep and you just think, well, I've been going and I've, I've, I've been following and I just don't really feel like at the end of this I have anything to give or I'm of any worth or I'm a little bit too broken. And, you know, like the analogy of the shepherd taking his sheep, which was what they were raised for, is what their purpose was. And when the time came, maybe you even feel like I don't have it in me to be who God's called me to be. I'm a little bit too messed up, a little bit too broken. I wonder, can we trust the job of the shepherd this morning? It's not your job to get yourself into be the right person and to shape yourself. You just need to follow the shepherd. It's his job to get you to where you need to be. He's the one who's taking you there anyway. As a sheep, it's not your job to go and raise yourself and feed yourself and get yourself to go and fulfill your purpose that you called you to. Maybe we need to give the shepherd back his perspective and stop telling him that we know better. He will lead us to our future. He will lead us to the places that are good. We just have to trust that he's taking us somewhere. Maybe you just feel like a little bit, well, what have I got to give in this? You don't know my story. You don't really know what. Well, listen to this, the most encouraging verse. I read this out so often, Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It doesn't say that when we got everything together, when we figured life out, when we fixed ourselves, when we came to a place where we acknowledged everything and, and life was just normal and good again. It doesn't say that. It says that whilst we were still broken, whilst we were still messed up, whilst we didn't have it all together, whilst we still foresaw, that's when he died for us. Whilst we still screw up, Christ died for us. Whilst we are still broken, he walks with us. Whilst we are still in a place where we are not good enough, He is good enough. Christ died for us whilst we were still broken. 1 Corinthians 15, 3-6, listen. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried. The third day He rose again from the dead according to the Scriptures. And He appeared. This isn't hearsay. This isn't just some fable. It's not just a good metaphor or a story. Jesus walked out of that grave which made us which gave us a way back to the Father, which gave us a way to live a life of purpose, a life in step with Him. I wonder this morning, are you following the shepherd? Or maybe, are you camping in the pastures? He wants to take you to places you could never dream of. He wants to do something with your life more significant than you can ever imagine. He's not waiting for you to get it all together and to, to find a way to tell him that you're suddenly good enough because we all fall short. Every single one of us in this room is desperately 
desperately, critically, terminally in need of the grace of Jesus. And all he's asking is that we follow him. He'll do the rest. I'm going to offer an opportunity for you to respond. Now we do this often. We ask you to raise your hands. This isn't for any other reason than it is an external sign of something that shifts on the inside. It's a way that you can mark this day to say from today on, I'm going to follow the shepherd. Two groups of people maybe in here and you've heard this message for the first time and you think, I want to know that shepherd. I want to know that God who, who died for me, that gave me a way to live life of freedom. I want to introduce you to him today. I want to give you a time where, in fact, he can introduce himself to you because he desperately wants to know you. Maybe for a second group of people, you're in here and you've, you've heard this, you've been a Christian, you've been seemingly walking with God for a long time and actually you've just gotten stuck in the pastures. The things that were sustaining you are now the things that are starving you. And there's some things you've got to break out of. And you just need to get back on the road and follow your shepherd. Every head bowed and eyes closed. If either of those is you, and you just say, I want to meet the shepherd for the first time, or I just want to break out of these pastures and follow him. After three, I want you to raise your hand and mark this day. One, two, three. Amazing. So good. You can put your hands down. Just a few more seconds. If you're in here and you want to follow the shepherd again. Amazing. Put your hands down. Lord Jesus, we just come to you right now. We want to thank you that you are the good shepherd. You are the good shepherd who refreshes our soul, who builds us back up, who equips us, who gets us ready, who, who puts us in a place of our purpose. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your love and for your leading and for your grace. We just want to worship you in this place. I want to thank you for every hand that went up for that first call. God, I pray that you would introduce yourself to these people. That you would just break through the ceiling of their doubt. That you would, you would just push aside their questioning. That you would just push aside their hardness and, and, and maybe their insecurity this morning. And just flood their heart and their life with your love and your transcendent peace right now. God, I thank you for your presence. And God, for that second group of people that have been walking with you and trying to follow you, but maybe have just got a little bit too caught up in the pastures, that didn't realize that it wasn't the pastures that were filling them the whole time. It was always you. God, I pray for those people that raise their hand right now. Let them fall back in line with you. Let today be a day where they began to follow their shepherd on wherever you lead them. Let today be a day where they find find that, that way where they can just walk in your footsteps, walk in your shadow, that they can walk in relationship. God, we want to be a church that knows the voice of our shepherd, that knows the heart of our shepherd. We want to follow you with all we've got as individuals and as a family and as a church today. God, let us follow wherever you lead us. God, take us to places we never expected to go. Lead us to places so big that we couldn't have even imagined. God, we give you back perspective and we give you back control today. Thank you for your presence. In Jesus' name, amen.